the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, there's a couple who had twins, identical twins. I mean, they looked just alike. You couldn't tell them apart. But their personalities were completely different, as is the case sometimes. One of them was a complete pessimist. Boy, if there was a way to see the bad in it, he saw it. But the other brother was a complete optimist. He saw the best in everything. And when those boys were about seven or eight, their parents just couldn't take it no more. <laughs> these kids are driving, these extremes, I mean, they're driving us crazy. So they decided we're going to do something drastic. We're going to bring these kids back down to earth here. And so for Christmas that year, they bought that pessimist boy the finest bicycle you could buy. The best bicycle money could buy. There's no way this kid wouldn't like this bike, all right? And they said, for this Optimus kid, ah, we hate to do it, but we're going to get him a box of steaming hot poop. <laughs> There's no way you could be thankful for that. And so Christmas come along, and the pessimists came down the steps to see what Santa had brought him or whatever. And they said, look at here, this new bike. And they were just waiting on him. He's got to say something good about this. And the boy looked at it, and he says, I know I'll wreck it and break my leg. <laughs> just like a pessimist. And then they did it. They brought that steaming hot box of poop, and they brought it to the optimist. And I'll tell you the rest of that story later. You guys don't care about poop stories, do you? Maybe we'll get to it later. But to, we got to go ahead and start a new series. We're starting a new series entitled, It's Time to Start Thanking. Now, being from Mississippi, some of you probably said, did he just say start thanking? <laughs> no, start thanking. I said it right. It's time to start giving God glory and thanking Him. It's time to start thanking. It's that time of year. It's Thanksgiving. Although you wouldn't tell it from going to Walmart, they just want to skip right past it. <laughs> it's like, it's the one time of year, you know, that some people will go sit at the dinner table and, oh yeah, I need to be thankful. <laughs> Here in America, we, we, that's what's wrong with America. We just want to skip right through Thanksgiving. And a lot of people just want to skip Christmas, too. <laughs> That's what's wrong with America. In America, we have been bequeathed more than any other nation in the history of God. Now, I know that's a big word that you didn't expect to hear in Mississippi. <laughs> bequeathed. I didn't know what it meant, but it sounded good. <laughs> I think it means they left it to us, you know. But the problem with people leaving something to you is you don't appreciate what you didn't have to work for. As many of you parents can attest, you bought your teenager a car, their first car. Your hard-earned money, you bought them a car, what they do? They wrecked it six times. <laughs> they never washed it, never kept it clean, put stickers, bumper stickers all over it. Had no respect for that nice car you bought them, but let them go down to the tote to note and get them a $50 a month car. They'll get that armor all out every day because they're paying the note. You know what I'm saying? But that's the way it is here in America. See, in most cases, somebody else's blood was spilt for the freedom that we enjoy. All this stuff, this blessing, everybody can get a job if they want one. Everybody can have a house. Everybody can do this if they work hard. That all the possibilities that we live in here in America, that wasn't free. Just so as you know. It was paid. Are, are we thankful enough to our veterans? Are we thankful enough to our active military? All these people that have bullets flying at them like our teachers. <laughs> Are we thankful for our police, 
our first responders? I don't think we're thankful enough in America. Now stop me if I'm wrong. All I hear in America is a lot of divisiveness, a lot of complaining. What about my feelings? What about my rights? Don't you know it's my turn? Did y'all watch that movie, Finding Nemo? Those little birds as well around, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it's like living in America. Everybody's walking around, mine, 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 mine. No wonder can't nobody get along because they're all fighting over their rights, their feelings. Is that the kind of world you really want to live in? I don't know why this just came to me. I, told, I think I told you all that the other day about the two pictures, one of heaven and one of hell. In the picture of hell, they're all sitting around this banquet table with all this Thanksgiving beautiful food and everything, but all of them's arms are big, long forks. And they can get the food on the fork, but it, their arms won't, won't get to their mouth because they're, they're stuck straight, and they can't get the food to their mouth, and they're in this agony because they've been there so long, and all the banquet is laid out for them, but they can't get to it. But in heaven... There's this beautiful banquet, and they're all sitting around this table, and they've all got these long arms with forks on the end of them, and they're scooping up the food on the forks, and they're feeding it to each other. And that's a picture of heaven compared to a picture of hell. See, that's the difference, but I think we're starting to see the other picture here in America. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, Apostle Paul tells Timothy, you should know this, Timothy. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and listen to this one, ungrateful. Say ungrateful. That's how we know we're living in the last times. All these things are happening before our eyes. And the one that's anchoring all these things is just a spirit of ungratefulness. It says they will consider nothing sacred. Nothing. Nothing holds any value to them. It's all unholy in their eyes. And what do they think about God? I'm glad you asked. Because in Romans... Chapter 1, verse 21, it says, yes, they knew God. Oh, yeah, they knew, knew there was a God. Everybody knows there's a God. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They know he gave them the breath in their lungs and the beating of their heart and this opportunity. They know, but they're not going to give him thanks. And it says they will begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Do you see that going on in America? It's because they refuse to admit that God is the source of every good and perfect gift. He's the Father of lights and from which every good and perfect gift comes down, but they don't want Him. Ungratefulness can be dangerous. If you're filling out your little sheets, you know I put those little blanks in there for a reason to kind of keep you awake. If by this point I get to, get to boring you, at least you can fill out the things. Ungratefulness can be what? Dangerous. Well, I don't know about that. It's just the way I, you know, it's just my attitude. It, it couldn't be dangerous. Oh, it can be dangerous because you tend to lose what you're not thankful for. We've been preaching on marriage, right? How long do you think you'll be married if you're not thankful for your spouse? Is that good preaching? How long do you think you'll keep your job if you're not thankful for it? If you're not thankful for it, I've been there. I only gave just as much as I needed to to get my check. And a lot of times that will cost you your job you're not thankful for what you've been given if you're not thankful for your relationship with Jesus 
For example, you couldn't lift your hands today. You don't value it. You don't come to church. You don't spend time in the Word. You will lose your relationship with God. Am I preaching still real good? Ungratefulness is the grease on a backslider's butt. Do I need to say that again? Don't say that in church, Pastor. One time was enough. <laughs> you see, it's the devil who deals in pity parties. That's over on the devil's territory. He loves that snarky little attitude without an ounce of gratitude. Huh? He loves helping people develop their sense of entitlement. He loves... To tell you, you sure look good in your victimhood. You're the victim. Play the victim. Be the victim. Don't. It's owed to you. They're not giving it to you. Don't show them any gratefulness. They're the man. You know, I wonder... How come some of the most happy people in the whole world live in a mud hut? While some of the most unhappy people in the world live in some Jed Clampett mansion somewhere in Hollywood. What do you think causes that? I was listening to the radio, and they were talking about the civil war in Syria that's going on, and, and the Christians were there to aid to, to the Muslim folks. And showing them the love of Jesus. Showing the Muslims the love of Jesus. That's the way we do it. And there was this, they said there was this one woman that they would visit and bring food and stuff. She had nothing. Said her husband and her son had both died in, this, in the war. And she was there alone and she lived in this little run-down shack. She, she barely had clothes on her back and they would help feed her. And they said that they eventually, the, their, their charity led this woman to convert from her Muslim faith to the Christianity faith. To give her life to Jesus. And they said she was still in all her Muslim garb and everything, but when they would get there, after she came to know Jesus, she would light up. She said she, they said she couldn't stop talking about Jesus. She was so excited. With nothing at all. Lost her loved ones, her family, all her possessions. Really no hope for the future other than surviving. But Jesus made a smile on her face. See, it's about your perspective. It's not about how much you have. It's about how much you're thankful for. You can have a lot of stuff and not be thankful and be miserable. You can have a little, but be thankful for what you have. And you understand a little bit about the joy of the Lord. G.K. Chesterton said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take things with gratitude. There'll be an opportunity for all of us. There'll be a test later <laughs> this week. For you to take something with gratitude, or you to take it for granted. Say desert dwellers. Why are you saying desert dwellers? <laughs> Ungrateful people will always be desert dwellers. What do you mean? Well, I look in the book of Exodus, and I see that God heard the cries of his, of his people who were in slavery in Egypt. They were crying out, save us, to a God that they hadn't worshipped. They just got to a place in their life where they just, as it come to that, we might as well pray to this God that we, our, our forefathers used to know. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. Somebody... Anybody up there? Somebody help me. 
And God, merciful God that he is, he heard their cry and he sent Moses to them. And Moses came and said, God sent me. He told me y'all was asking for help. And they said, well, we don't believe you really from God. <laughs> Isn't that just like us? We pray for something, God sends the answer, and we, yeah, we don't believe it. But Moses, he showed them the few little miracles that God had given him to convince them. And they said, oh, cool, cool, you are from God. God probably did that to you, too, when you was wondering about God and calling on him, not sure, and he showed himself to you a few little ways there. Then you got all excited, right? God, maybe God is real. Cool, cool, deliver me then, deliver me. So Moses went to Pharaoh, and he said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know your God, get out of here. You and your lazy Hebrews, I tell you what, they've been making bricks I got a certain quota to, of bricks to make. Well, tell them now they got to go find their own straw to make the bricks, and they still got to make as many bricks as they used to. What do you think the people did? They was ready to strangle Moses. They was ready to, to put their hands around his neck and strangle him to death. You came here to make things worse for us. How many of you knows when God comes to deliver you, the devil ain't going to let go real easy? Pharaoh's going to make it hard as he can on you so that you can't go and be free. Some of you is, is top leadership. And, you know, he needs you in his organization. Anyway, God went on and showed ten miraculous, wondrous signs and made Pharaoh let the people go. And they beheld God's glory. And in many of these miracles, God made a clear distinction between Egypt and Goshen, which was right near Egypt, right beside uh, Egypt, just a section of it, sort of like Whitehaven to Memphis or something. And the Hebrews all lived in Goshen, and in Egypt, it would be completely dark, one of the plagues. But there would be light in Goshen. God made a clear distinction between his people and the ungodly. But some of the earlier plagues, it doesn't say that. It says that, you know, God's people had to suffer through some of the earlier plagues with the world. And you know, being down here, we're, we're suffering through a lot of things with the world, even though it, we feel like, well, this shouldn't happen to me. I'm one of God's people. I'm one of the, no, we suffered a lot of the things that the world suffers, right? But then God began to make a distinction when the flies came and stuff. There were no flies in Goshen. So we, we have a lot of benefits from trusting in the Lord. And I say amen to that. I'm thankful for that. I don't know if you are. One of the main benefits was when the 10th plague come, God sent his death angel and killed all the firstborn, but the Hebrew people had killed a spotless lamb and posted his, his blood over the doorpost, and the death angel passed over them and didn't kill their firstborn. And if you ain't got nothing else to be thankful for in your life, you can say thank you for the blood of Jesus. That the death angel's passing over me, that I won't die that second death. I won't taste that second death and be sentenced to hell. No, no. I might die to this body, but it would be a good thing. But I'm going to live for Christ forever. I won't taste of that second death. Because of the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of my life. Hallelujah. If we ain't got nothing to be thankful for, we ought to be thankful for that every day. That Syrian woman is probably real thankful for that. Mm. Mm. Well, after the ten plagues, Pharaoh finally said, look, let them go. Y'all not only go, go quick. Here, take my gold, take my stuff. And they plundered the Egyptians, and the people left shouting, oh, they're coming out of the bondage of Egypt. See, the Egypt is always a type shadow of the world in the Bible. And they begin to come out of the world like a lot of you Christians have done. You come out of the things that you used to do, the slavery that you used to be in, and you come out and God is putting some gold in your pocket and stuff. You got a job now. You walking into some good things. And you walk out there and next thing you know, you're camping by the, the Red Sea. Oh, this is the sweet living out here. And then you look and here comes Pharaoh's army back after you. And then you look and say, ain't nowhere to run. We can't buy the Red Sea. What did the people say? Did they say, well, we, God, we saw the ten miracles, signs, and wonders. We know you'll get them. We ain't worried. No. Nope. 
They looked at Moses and said, did you bring us out here to, to, to die in the wilderness? We could have went back and been slaves. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like the story Jesus told about the seed that fell on the shallow soil. It sprung up. We're all happy for a moment. Little twigs coming out. Woo, sunlight. But when persecution arose for the gospel's sake, what happened? It scorched it and it died. Their faith <laughs> fell over. And the people, they're out there murmuring and complaining. Moses said, y'all just shut up and watch what God's going to do. See, Moses was beginning to walk in faith. He was learning how to do this thing because he spent time with God. It wasn't a far-off God to him. He had built a relationship with God. He saw God face to face. God was real to him. He wasn't, he wasn't in praise and worship lifting his hand to a God everybody else is lifting their hands to. He was lifting his hands to his God. So he stuck his staff in the water and the Red Sea parted. Said, y'all walk on through. And they walked on through. And their feet didn't even get muddy. They walked right on through. I bet they was doing the George Jefferson. What? They were strutting. And then when the world tried to do that, what happened? The water crashed back in on them and destroyed the whole army. But they got to the other side. God's people got to the other side. Miriam got her tambourine out. Let's sing the song to the Lord. The people shouted and started singing to Jesus. Man, they were having a good time. That's the way it's supposed to happen. They was having praise and worship on the other side. But my question is, why can't we have praise and worship on the, on the front side? It's really on the front side is where you need to praise and worship most. Before you go through, before you get your answer, maybe while you're walking through, you could be praising the Lord. When you're in the valley, praising is your answer. Now, God, being merciful as he is to us little baby Christians, he'll give you the victory sometime when you didn't earn it, when you didn't deserve it, when you didn't even expect it. But you got through on the other side, you're giving praise. You know, anybody can give praise when they get what they want, right? Mm. Let me see where I was supposed to be at. Whew. All right, so three days later, they've been out in the desert. They're real thirsty. And so they come to a, a pool of water, and they, go, they run up there to get them some, and it's bitter. The waters of Marah which mean bitter. Sort of like their attitude had become in just three days. They done stowed away the tambourine, and now they, they complain it. Oh, you bring us out here again to die. And the, the same thing, saying the same stuff, complaining that they don't have anything to drink. A few days later, they don't have any food to eat. Do they ask God? They had seen him you know, part the Red Sea, little, little stuff. When they were thirsty, he gave them water from the rock, or they threw something in the, 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 the pond and it turned sweet and they were able to drink it. When they got hungry, did they say, okay, God, do your next thing? Nope. Complained. Murmured. You brought us out here to die. We don't have nothing good to eat. Mm. You know what Moses told him? He said, you're not complaining against me because they, they was directing it at Moses. He said, you're not really complaining against me, you're complaining against God. And I want to let you know something today, which you probably already know, but you may, may not think about enough. Wherever your complaints are directed, they're ultimately directed at God. You complaining about your boss? You complaining about your spouse, you complain about your kids, you complain about your car, you complain about the house that you live in, you complain about the air conditioning, you complaining about your hot water heater. Whatever you're complaining about, you're really not complaining about that. You're complaining about God. Ultimately. Murmuring. It's not a good look for you. But God sent them manna. 
did another miracle for him. He's, he's trying to teach these little babies to grow up and to begin to ask for what they want, believe that he could provide. But what did they do? He told them, just get enough for yourself. They hoarded it all up and brought it, brought it and stacked it in their tents and stuff. For the next day, God told them, didn't do it, don't do it. Next day, they wake up, there's worms and maggots. Because they weren't content with what God provided. They thought that they, God would, wouldn't give them enough tomorrow, so they had to hoard it for themselves today. When, is, when are you going to hoard up enough stuff where you can finally rest and trust God? Some people have made enough money in this world that they could stop working now and go do something for God. And they wouldn't have to worry about finances for them or their ch children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren for 20 generations. Their colleges would be paid for. They got millions upon millions stacked in the bank. And they're still stacking it to this day. Still killing themselves over the dollar. When is enough enough? When are you going to be content? Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. Maybe why we're not thankful is because we're not content. We always got to have them a little more. Now, you know I could go on with this story. We could go on to the part where, you know, they built a golden calf and started worshiping it at the bottom of the mountain while God was talking to Moses at the top. We could go on about the foolishness of these people. But all this is given as an example to the, to, for us to learn. You know, they all died in the wilderness. Why? Because they're always, ungrateful people will always be desert dwellers. The promised land was right there next door. They circled for 40 years, murmuring and complaining. They could have gone in at any time. If you guys would have stopped murmuring and complaining, you could have went in. But they finally got on God's nerves, and he said, you're not going in. There got to be a point where God got fed up. The unthankful never go in to the promised land. So what, 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 what must we do, Pastor? We got to shift the focus of our life to the positive things in life. We got to begin to see in a positive light. Because human nature is what? It defaults to the negative. This sin nature, this flesh that we live in, it just wants to see the glass half empty, so to speak. I'm just thankful for a glass these days, you know. But we focus on what we don't have, focus on our problems. We never think about the solutions. And then we begin to take credit for everything good that happens to us. That's another reason we're not thankful, because we are so self-centered and so prideful, we somehow think that we produced this. And we don't realize that apart from him, you can do what? Nothing. We become arrogant and self-centered. And ultimately, we just become so negative, people don't want to be around us. And I know. I know. I spent most of my life like that. I'm a recovering perfectionist, and I saw everything the way I thought it should be, and everything that wasn't, I took note of. That's what I was looking for, the negative in everything. And, and believe me, if that's what you're looking for, that's what you'll find, and that's what you'll be, negative. I was the world's most negative person. If I wasn't, I was, you know, in contention for it. But since I met Jesus, how many likes that phrase? But since I met Jesus... He has begun to shift my default to the positive. Not all the time. I mean, it's on me. It's my decision every day. I have to wake up and decide, am I going to be positive today or negative? I don't always do it, but I know how to do it now. And some of you are saying, well, just tell me. I'll do it. Well, that's what I've been doing in some detail. It's cultivate a thankful heart. Okay, okay, Pastor, well, how do I do that? Well, it's the same way you do everything else positive in your life. You keep your eyes on Jesus. I know it's simple, but when I look to Jesus, when I consider him, when I think about 
what he's done for me, what he sacrificed for me, what he has provided, what his word promises me. When I keep my eyes on Jesus and when you're looking at this, you're keeping your eyes on Jesus. He is the word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. When I keep my eyes on Jesus and the promises of God and I think about his sacrifice, being my redeemer, my savior, he come to rescue me, to set the captives free, to give me life and life more abundantly. When I keep my eyes on him, I can't help but say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When I think about Jesus, what he done for me, when I think about Jesus, how he set me free, I could shout, shout, shout. I mean, we could start singing right here. All you need is a little spark. Get your eye on Jesus. And the negative, you know, you put that negative away and you, you spark that positive. I don't know how battery works, but I want to be on the positive end of everything. Mm, somebody ought to be shouting. You know, when they total up all the phrases that I have said in my life, and I've said a bunch of stupid stuff, and I still say a bunch of stupid stuff, a bunch of wasted words. You know, it says we'll be held accountable for every idle word that we say. There's, somebody's up here keeping records of everything we say. But I can guarantee you this. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, at the top of the list of the, thing, the phrases that I say will be, thank you, Jesus. I can promise you that for 20 years. I'm talking to myself constantly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm cultivating a heart of gratefulness. Oh, I have my bad days where I want to complain. Mostly about you, no. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, you know, we all have that. But overall, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When, in my prayer life, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When I'm worshiping, thank you, Jesus. When I'm preaching, thank you, Jesus. When I'm sitting on the couch and change the channel, thank you, Jesus. It works again. <laughs> that direct TV, as my mama calls it. That direct TV. Thank you, Jesus. I got direct TV. <laughs> Thankfulness is a sign that you're walking in the Spirit, you understand. When you see a thankful person, you can say, hey, they're walking in the spirit. They're not walking in the flesh. And you know you got a decision every day whether you're going to walk in that old man and that old flesh and let it rule. Or are you going to walk in the spirit, the new man that Christ has put on the inside of you? It's your choice every day. And when you see somebody thanking God, you see somebody just thankful that somebody uh, let them cut in line at Walmart. Thankful that they got a car, thankful that they got a class, thankful for everything in their life. You know they're walking in the Spirit. It's an indicator. It's a barometer of your spiritual condition. It's a gauge also of your faith walk, where you stand. When you see people thanking God in the, in the tough times, they just lost a child. And you hear them praying, oh Lord. Help my heart, but I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. In the midst of the storm, thank you, Jesus. I don't know how we're getting out of here, but I thank you, Jesus. And their prayer life begins to say, thank you, Jesus, that you are my answer. Thank you, Jesus, that you go before me in battle. Thank you, Jesus, that you already got this figured out, and they work themselves up. Joy is a barometer it says you're walking in the Spirit, and thankfulness unlocks the joy of your salvation. Chuck Swindoll said, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. There were nine missionaries in a foreign country. They were all in this one little hut thing they're all having to live there together and they just wasn't liking it too much and one of them went to the director and said we're there's nine of us in that little room it, you don't understand how tough it is on us over there we don't have running water we don't have this and this it's really difficult is there anything that we can do and the director thinks to himself y'all still got that goat the one y'all get your milk from 
I'll tell you what. Bring the goat into the house with you and then come back and see me in a week. So a week later, the guy comes back. He says, you know, we came to you for help, but now we got this stinking goat living in there. It's horrible. The thing poops all over the place. He's got fleas, stays up all night. We're not getting any sleep. What do we do? What do we do? The director says, all right, we'll take the goat out. Come back and see me in a week. A week later, the guy comes back. The director says, how you doing? He says, oh, man, we are blessed. It's just the nine of us living there now. We love it. Well, no more goat. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Have you ever walked a mile in somebody else's shoes? Have you ever walked a mile in your shoes in a different situation? Don't live with the goat. Don't be the goat. Nobody wants to live with a smelly, complaining goat. <laughs> Are you being a smelly complaint? I was a smelly complaining goat at my last job until God finally got a hold of me. I w my, my cubicle was the no-go zone. Nobody wants to stop by my cubicle. Don't be that. Thankfulness triggers the grace of God. Once again, you parents who bought your children <laughs> that first car, and you watched them destroy it. You thought to yourself, I'm not doing that again. You parents, you're sitting on all this blessing that you want to pour into your, your kid. You're like, if I could just do this for you without you acting like a complete brat because of it. <laughs> you know, I, I want to bless you. I really want to. But you make me... You better be thankful for Jesus. <laughs> God wants to bless us, but he can't if we're not thankful. Thankfulness opens up the blessings of God. Let me ask you this. Most of you got all this down and everything. This is, this is for those who listen to it on the podcast. You know, you are the thankful folks. But we pray, we ask God. Sometimes, you know, corporately I think about this. We, on Tuesday nights we pray and pray for you, pray for our church, pray for our direction, pray for this nation, pray for Israel, pray for all kind of stuff. Our bus ministry we're starting, our children's church. There's a lot of stuff going on here. If you don't know about, you ought to get involved and be part of, of what God's doing. Anyway, we pray for all those things. The next week, we usually see most of those things answered. We pray for somebody to get healed. Next thing, we see them at church the next Wednesday night, you know. It's like, what happened? Oh, I got healed. I'm, I'm better now. We're like, okay, good. And we go on. When you pray and ask God for something and then you get the answer, how many times do you go back and tell God thanks? Or you just assume that's his job? I wasn't going to talk about this this week, but maybe next week about those Ten lepers that got healed, only one went back to give God thanks. Only one went back to give God thanks. Which one you think, which one of you thinks you'll get blessed more when you give him thanks for the things he's already done? Think about that. I bet you've prayed something recently that happened that you haven't given God thanks for yet. Don't let that be said of us. That's part of cultivating a grateful heart. Can I get an amen? amen? Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then this is what I wanted to get to. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Man, that's good preaching. Right there in the Bible, Philippians 4, 6. If we could just get a hold of this, tell God what you need and then thank him for all he's done already. You can go on and thank him for what he's going to do if you got a little faith. Because, see, faith calls those things which be not as though they were already. Faith, faith thanks God on the front side of the Red Sea. Tell God what you want and thank him 
for what he's done already. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Tell God what you want. He said you receive not because you ask not. You guys can preach this message better than me. I don't even know why we... Each one of you ought to be pastoring somewhere. We need to be talking to people who don't know these scriptures. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get these disciples built up so that you can see how you're going to affect the kingdom of God in this, in this earth. Anyway, tell God what you want. And thank him for what he's already done. Oh, that'll begin to stir up some faith in you. Man, if you were to keep, I, I, people always tell me, keep a prayer journal. Oh, I wish I would have all these years, and I, can't, I still don't do it. You go back through your prayer journal, you say, hey, God does miracles. He, he did the ten wonders to get me out of Egypt. He op read, opened the Red Sea. He gave us water from the rock. He, he gave us manna from heaven. He, he, my goodness, why would I not ask him for what I need? And thank him for what he's going to do and what he's done. We look back and we scoff at the people that Moses had to deal with. We're like, those were idiots, man. I, can't think, I don't know what they were doing. And now somebody greater than Moses is here for us. The Bible says Moses was faithful in all God's house, but it says Jesus was the builder of the house. He, he is the house. And Jesus came for us. Not just Moses. The blood over our doorpost is not just that of a, a spotless lamb, but it is the, the blood of the spotless lamb. Jesus came personally to deliver us from our slavery. You know he did. It was him, his, his spirit that was drawing you to his goodness. He was doing miraculous wonders in your life. When you, when you didn't know him at all, you, you finally got to the end of yourself and you cried out, is there anybody up there? Jesus says, I've already come. That they may have life and life more abundantly. You've called on the right person. He began to do things and he brought you out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He gave you true manna from heaven and he became that true spiritual drink from the rock. He became the rock on which you stand. He himself, Jesus, the Lord of glory. Do you remember when he came to deliver you? Do you remember how happy you were? Back then, you, I'm forgiven. Nobody's ever forgiven me. You mean I'm forgiven? He gave me a job. You remember how happy you were when you first got that job now, the one you're complaining about now? Do you remember all that the Lord has done for you? How he delivered you from drugs and from alcohol? Woo! From sexual addictions? Better known in the Bible as sexual sin? <laughs> remember how thankful you were that he gave you that spouse that you're complaining about now. <laughs> you also remember how many times you quit when things got hard. You also remember how for a long time you only gave thanks for the things that went your way. And most often you were just murmuring and complaining along the journey like the Israelites. Saved, but not able to go into the promised land. Just tell God what you need and tell him thanks for all that he has done for you. It's called being grateful. And that's our board pass to the promised land express. A grateful heart gets you in. Enter in, my child, to the joy of the Lord. Grateful heart. 
It's our boarding pass to the Promised Land Express. It's the only true way to worship God. You don't come to him complaining. You don't come into his courts or into his gates with nagging and complaining, into his courts with woe is me. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we're talking about eternity. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. See, that's how you worship God acceptably. You're thankful. It says, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. <laughs> oh, God, you're good. Oh, God, you done done so much for me. Oh, God, I love you. Oh, God, you're good to me. Oh, God, you set me free. You're giving me peace. In the midst of this storm in which I live, you have, oh, God, that which the devil meant for harm for my life, you have turned to good. Oh, God, oh, oh, A-W-E, oh, I'm in awe of you. Oh, God. When people said I would never amount to nothing, look what you've done. Oh, God. When I know I was going to die and split hell wide open, I know that there was no hope for me. You died on my cross. Oh, oh, God, oh. Reverence and awe in my heart. Thankfulness. Oh, God. Is there any thankfulness in this house? What has God done for you? What has God done for you? Why don't you stand to your feet for a moment? Let's just praise him for a minute. Let's just praise God for a minute. I want you to thank him for what he's done for you. And ask him for what you need. Some of you may be on this side, this side of the Red Sea. Some of you may be on the other side of the Red Sea. But we all need to be thanking God. Come on, don't act like a Presbyterian church. Let's go. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Tell him what you need. Some of you came here today with need healing in your bodies. You may have high blood pressure. You may have gout. You may have just a pain. You may have arthritis in your body. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank him for that blood. It's on the doorpost of your life that keeps the death angel away. Thank him that he is your high tower, your refuge, and your place to run to. When, when the world just seems to be too much for you, he's the peace that passes all understanding that keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Just thank the Lord. Come on, I don't have to stir you up. If I have to stir you up, then you don't know anything about being grateful. You got a lot to learn if I have to stir you up. Thank you, Jesus. This is his house. Thank him for his house. Thank him for he's put you in a place where brothers and sisters can come together and rejoice together. That you're not alone in this. That we're not hiding away in the basement somewhere scared that we're going to be persecuted. We can gather freely in this nation that God has given us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I can stand today. Thank you that I have a mouth to praise you, Lord. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you, Jesus, a beating in my heart. Thank you, Lord. I may not be living in the Clampett mansion, but I'm thankful for where I am. I know that you're up there building me a mansion right now, Lord Jesus. I know the future is going to get better, the better, better and better and brighter and brighter because you go to prepare a place for us. That where you are, we may be also. That we'll see you face to face. Oh, I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you that I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you you've not left me down here without purpose. But every day I feel a sense of what you have for me in the future. I know that you are, you're preparing me for something, for some greatness. I know that you won't leave me alone. I know that you're disciplining me for a reason. We are not like those without hope in the world. We know in whom we have believed. We know we're called for such a time as this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. I hope you got what you came for today. 
whether it's healing, whether you need finances, you can't pay the bills right now, you, it seems like the this Red Sea is in, behind you and, you, and, the, and the Pharaoh, the bill collector, is on his way. But God will stand in the gap for you. God will be that fire by night and that cloud by day, and he will come and sit between you and that bill collector if you will ask him for what you need and you will thank him for what he has done. God wants to be that. He wants to be all of that for you. Isaac Watts, he says, How divinely full of glory and pleasure shall that hour be when all the millions of mankind that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb shall meet together, and they shall stand around him with every tongue and every heart full of joy and praise. How astonishing will be the glory and the joy of that day when all the saints shall join together in one common song of gratitude and love and of everlasting thankfulness to their Redeemer. He says, with all that unknown delight and inexpressible satisfaction shall all that, are sa that who are saved from the ruins of sin and hell address the Lamb that was slain and rejoice in His presence. Oh, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. But I say, why wait till that day when we need it more on this side? We need more of that rejoicing and praising on this side, on this side of the Red Sea. It'll be great on that day. It'll be unbridled on that day. We'll see him and face to face we'll know him. It'll, it'll be just natural on that day. But we got to fight for it on this side because this is where the fight happens. This is what we got to do. We got to fight for the right to come before him. Fight to come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. To have a life filled with peace. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.